You've probably heard about how that early America was built on the principles of the Bible. And if you know anything about our history, then you know that our system of government was based on moral law rather than on the, the power of whoever was in charge, you know, whether it's a king or, or whatever. And the reason that you usually hear about the pilgrims and others coming to America originally is to start to escape religious persecution from their own country, to start fresh and, and to build a new world and spread the gospel to the rest of the, of the world. The pilgrims, they came over. Do you know if the pilgrims were alive today what they would be famous for? Their age. That and the fact that they couldn't keep their pants up because they have their belt buckles on their hats. All the stuff about that you've heard about religious persecution and the pilgrims coming over and, and building a new world, that, that, you know, that's true. That the, the, our government was based on, on law instead of the whims of a tyrant. And, but if you know anything about world history and the state of the church in the current political conditions of the world then you know that you don't have to have political freedom to spread the gospel. That they, they wanted to escape persecution, which is great. You know, if I could escape persecution, I would. And, but just like the early church, the original church, back when the disciples were building the church, you can live under extreme oppression and persecution and still spread the faith. The Christians in Rome were fed to lions for public entertainment, and they still spread the gospel. The, the mass media mistreatment today of conservative Christians is nothing compared to being covered with tar and set on fire to be a, a human tiki torch for the emperor's garden. You know, not quite the same kind of persecution that they suffered in the early church. And yet the church grew in Rome. The, the Roman Empire faded away in, into ancient history. If you go to the Colosseum today, they've got a big cross erected. So now there's a cross in the Colosseum and, and all the lions that, that used to maul believers are replaced with kitty cats that roam the ruins looking for mice. And, and so it's, it's amazing what God can do through people in the midst of persecution. And even in the Middle East, where Christians today are being beheaded by groups like ISIS, people are still risking their lives to go and spread the gospel. They're still facing death to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And the church abroad, around the world, continues to grow in the midst of persecution, in the midst of suffering and trials. In fact, you might even argue, in some cases, that the church in, in places of persecution is healthier than in places around the United States where there, there is no persecution. Because a person who, who repents, say in the Middle East, who comes to faith, who comes to know, uh, to, to realize that their sins are going to damn them, and they come to repentance and they say, I'm going to commit my life to God because He's done so much for me and I love Him and I'm going to serve Him. People who come to that decision in the midst of persecution, they, they understand, they really get it, that the things of this world don't compare to the things of God. Because they're willing to lay it all on the line. They're willing to put their lives on the line, their families, their freedom, their safety. They're willing to say, I'm willing to trade it all because everything in this world is less important than knowing God. And they really get that. Whereas people in, in this country don't quite understand that. Not when well, some people do, but not everybody. There's a lot of people that don't really get that concept that the things of this world don't matter compared to God. 
that, that there's nothing as valuable as the transforming salvation and new life that you can get through Jesus Christ. So, meanwhile, people in our country are still shopping around for the church that plays the best music or serves the best coffee or whatever. And unfortunately, if a, if a terrorist were to show up in a lot of American churches today and put an AK-47 to the people's heads and say, convert to Islam or die, I'm afraid that there would be a lot of modern churchgoers who would rather say whatever it took to cling to the life in this world than to actually go and meet the one that they claim to serve and to worship. And church in America these days seems a lot more about keeping people occupied than teaching people to occupy. Did you know that's our job? That Jesus said, occupy this world until I return. I'm leaving here and I'm giving you a mission. You're, you are soldiers in the mission of saving the world. We don't go around killing people, but we fight against evil. We fight against principalities and powers in the spiritual realm. And we stand guard, we keep watch, and we defend, and we protect this place and try to bring people to the salvation until Jesus comes back. That's our, our purpose. And so anyway, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the pilgrims. The pilgrims escaped their persecutors and they had a great opportunity to come to the new world and to be able to, to build the church and worship freely. And I'm sure that I would have choose, chosen the same thing. If I were in their shoes with belt buckles on them, I would want to escape persecution if I could. And I'm sure... I. You know, if I were trapped on that mountain the, the, where the people were surrounded by the Muslims and they were sent in helicopters to pull them out, if, if my family was stuck there and I had the chance to get everybody on a helicopter, I, I definitely would choose that rather than just sit there and wait to be tortured and killed. So it's, it's good if there's, if there's a place to go where you can escape persecution and still grow in faith. But what intrigues me is not why people came to America, because that's kind of a no-brainer. It's what they did when they got here that I think is so impressive. In, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of winters that would kill you and not knowing quite how to set up life in this new world, it's, it's how they chose to build a society here that in some ways is totally amazing and in other ways is the most logical thing that anybody could have done if you stop and think about it. If for millennia, of human history, kingdoms were built on violence. All around the world, the, the, where anybody lived, before there were whole countries, people would come together and they'd form cities, you know, little communities, towns. And it was advantageous for, for communities, for people to come together so that they could specialize. So you could have some farmers and some builders and some um, teachers and that kind of stuff. And, and all, everybody could bring their talents together in a group and they could work together and they could trade resources and they could defend their territory better if there was a bigger number. And so they would build these kind of city-states. And there would typically be somebody who was in power because they had the wealth or they had the biggest family or they were the ones that, that gathered the people together in the first place. They were smart enough to exercise some control and organization over their city. And so that person would typically be the king. They would, you know, that's the city was built around them, so they're the king. And and it only makes sense that they would want their kids, you know, as they passed on, they would want their kids to take over when they were gone, which is where the tradition of nepotism and monarchies came to play. So that's why kings king, kingdoms always pass down in the family, unless of course somebody gets killed and somebody else takes over. 
So eventually, the people in these city-states wanted to expand. They wanted to grow their power base. But the people in other city-states had already set up. And so they would, do, they would grow their power by attacking another city. They would go to war and they would fight and, and whoever won would get to take the property of the other city. They'd get to take the people as slaves. And they, you know anything that they could, they would grab. And that was their winnings. You know, they'd have a, a violent battle and whoever won got to keep it all. And, and you, can tell by, you can tell by even our current government that when people get into power, they tend to want more. They, once they have that control and they realize what they can do with all that power, they don't want to give it up. They want to get more. And you can see that in Congress today, in the White House today. That it's, it's just the thing that people tend to do. So for thousands of years, this is all of human history, people took territory by force. They would go in and they'd conquer one another and they'd take from one another. And, and, and if you conquered enough cities, if you were victorious and you got city after city, you'd have your own nation eventually. And if you kept going, if you conquered enough nations, you'd have your own empire. And that's the way it went around the world from the Babylonians to the British. I mean, it was kill and conquer and take what you could take. And that's the way government worked. The whole world was used to government being imposed by force. That you do what we tell you to do because otherwise we'll kill you. And if you don't like it, tough. That's the way the whole world was used to government power. And then America happened. And it was this amazing, it shook up the world. The founders decided that they wanted a government that was not ruled by the whims of a king or a queen or, or even by the mob mentality of a majority, but rather by the rule of law. They said, we want to have a system of law that everybody has to adhere to. The rulers, the, the people, the, anybody that's a part of this system, everybody is, is, is ruled by law. And not just any law, but the law that comes from the ultimate authority on people in society. Law based on the morality of God Himself. Because what better law can you have? And, and so, to maintain that law and order, to have a system where everybody could live and work together, they, they decided that we should have stewards that we would elect who would also be bound by the law. They would write new laws and they would you know, make sure that law and order were enforced. But they would be bound by the law. At least they were supposed to be. And since we live in a world that's corrupted by sin and, and was ruled by violence for, for thousands of years, the founders decided that they should put in a system of, of checks and balances so that no one person or no one group would ever have too much power. And that's what they did. For the first time in the history of the world, government would be ruled by the citizens rather than by someone else, rather than by some person in power who just imposed their power on the rest of the country. It would be imposed by the citizens of that country on themselves, that they would decide that they were going to live by law and they would maintain themselves and they would take care of themselves. And, and it's, it's a brilliant system. I mean, it really is. And oddly enough, it's the only system that can offer people any sort of true freedom. We've talked about freedom and morality before. If you, you have to choose to want to live a good life in order to have a society. Because if people don't choose to live a good life, they're going to rob and steal and kill and have violence and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and every system 
if you don't have a system where people choose to live good lives on their own, you're going to have a system that breaks down either into tyranny or into chaos, one or the other, and eventually fades away into unimportance because ultimately you cannot control the human heart by force. We, it, it's not how we were designed. The, the only real way to get people to live peaceably in society permanently is to get them, to get us to choose to live that way. And, and our Creator wrote that on our souls. We were designed with things like life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. We were built with that in our spiritual code as human beings. It's, it's in our, it, it, we have free will. God made us so that we could choose what direction we wanted to go. We could choose to live good or we could choose to live bad. We could we choose this day whom you will serve. And, and, and also, God designed the universe the world in which we live in. And that means that He designed not only the, the software of our souls, if you want to call it that, He also designed the hardware of our bodies and the interface of the rest of the world that we live in. He designed the whole system. And so He, as the designer, knows the parameters with which we are supposed to operate. You know, this is how you are operate if you want to live. And if you don't want to live and operate outside the system and you'll die. God knows what's good for our system. He knows what's bad. And, and we know that He made us with good purposes in mind for a future and a hope. We, we can read that in His Word. He made us because He loves us and He wants to have a relationship with us and that's what we were designed for. And we, we know that He... So, so He's given us this owner's manual so that we can know how to live. And we can understand the, the rules of our operating system if you want to use, go with that analogy. And he knows, you know, we can read it. We can know how to live well. We can know how to get the most out of life. If there's problems, we know how to troubleshoot and repair those problems because of God's instructions. And we also know what's going to happen if we continue to operate in an unsafe manner and void our warranty, so to speak. If we decide to work outside of God's system, we, we, are permanently rejected from it, and that's damnation. So we've, we've been given all this instruction by God on how to live the life that He's designed us and the whole system to live in order to get the most out of life and enjoy life and have a good relationship with our Creator and, and to love Him and to love one another. That's what we were made for. So in a republic like ours, in this system that was built on that idea, in this government system that was built on, on God's morality, that said God designed us to live a certain way, so that's how we're going to design our society to live. It has its weaknesses, the, 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 this government system. One major weakness is that if the citizenry ever got lazy and decided that they didn't need to keep tabs on the people that they hired to maintain the law, that those servants could eventually become their masters. And that's what's happened down through world history all the time. People take power because they can. And, and, and people today are no different than the people who lived thousands of years ago. They have the same temptations and the same problems and the same desires as, as people have always had. And so people continue to want to grow in power. And even though they don't always use violent means like one city-state attacking another city-state, they can... Today, they use more subtle tactics. You know, things like overtaking the training of the youth and teaching the youth what they want. You know, whether it's a humanistic 
anti-theology, if it's, if it's wanting them to be liberal or what, you know, whatever the, the government wants to teach, if they take over education, they can teach whatever they want and bring up the generation to do and, and believe however they teach them to believe. Or they can use subtle tactics like um, bribing the public with largesse, offering free stuff, in order to get people to vote for them. And every, you know, lots of people in government do that. They try to take money that's been taxed and put it towards it. That's what the pork is. They put it towards whatever they want. You've got systems like welfare, but you've also got systems where people are you know, getting money to build stuff in their state that the state's already paid for. But they, they convince them that, look at this free stuff that we're giving you, and if you hire me, I'll get us the money. And I'll give it to you. And you'll have jobs and you'll have security and you'll have food and you'll have homes and you'll have whatever. You just vote for me and I will take care of you. I will be your mother, so to speak. And that's what people a lot of times see government as. So there's tactics like that. And, and then there's tactics like little by little stripping away freedoms. You know, not so much that people notice right off the bat, but, you know, taking turning up the heat slowly so that eventually the public has to go to the government for even the most simple ones. You know, something like traveling from place to place. You have to get permission from the government to drive a car. Or or going fishing for an afternoon. You have to get permission from the government to go fishing. Uh, You have to pay for a license, for the privilege. Seems kind of odd. Or even going to the doctor. Now you have to go to the government in order to see a doctor. You have to go through a government system or getting a job. You have to go to the government to get the proper documentation in order to hold down a job. In order, and then when you have your job, the government takes part of the money that you've earned. I mean, it's, it's interesting how little by little, and this stuff wasn't in the original founding. This stuff wasn't in the design of the American system, this is all stuff that slowly has kind of been added in there and added in here so that the government can basically be in charge of your life. Every little tiny bit. So you can't do the simplest things without first getting permission from the government and then paying them for the privilege. And if all those subtle tactics fail and they can't get you to conform through those methods, there's always a SWAT team that can come in and take your property and take your freedom. And these days, the laws actually have been written so that you have no say. You, they can come in and without a warrant, they can tell you that you are not allowed to tell anybody about what they're doing. They can take your property. They can lock you up forever without a lawyer. I mean, this is absolutely against the founding and the laws that were put in place so that we could have freedom and live in peace and have good government. And it's amazing how much this stuff has changed and nobody's noticed. Well, some people have noticed. A lot of people haven't noticed and it's been able to come. Of course, in theory, and with a lot of very hard work and team effort, the people could still rein in the government and get control of their own lives back. But here's the rub. Since the country was founded, was designed to run according to the moral code of God, the only way to get the country running the way it was designed, you know, get it back to its original purposes, is to get the people to return to the moral code of God. 
there is no other way to restore freedom and liberty that this country was designed to have. No way. You can't vote somebody in to change it. It has to be a change within the public who makes up the country. And no other way will return this country to the way that it was designed to run. Otherwise, you know, if, if the people don't have some sort of return to the moral code of God, then like so many other kingdoms and so many other nations in the world, even this amazing experiment in freedom can break down and go the way of tyranny or chaos and simply fade away into history. It's happened over and over and over throughout the millennia. So here's why I bring all this up today. I, election season is just around the corner. No, I'm kidding. This has nothing to do with election season. I, in fact, I'm guessing that almost everybody here has knows next to nothing about the morality of their elected officials, both national, state, and local. I'll bet you don't know hardly anything about the moral code of the people that you have elected to be in charge of your government. And so if you just go vote for somebody new, if you don't know anything about their moral code, it's probably not going to change a whole lot and things are going to stay the same. So voting for somebody new you know, isn't going to fix much. So, so I don't bring this up because of, of elections or government. I bring all this up because down through the ages, it has not been governments who have made the important changes to the world. It has been the church. If it wasn't for people like the pilgrims, who escaped persecution and, and were the first ones to start to kick off this experiment in freedom. And the other people who followed them, and the founding fathers who eventually chose to structure society according to biblical principles. If it wasn't for those people, who knows what North America would look like today? Who knows what the rest of the world would look like today? It has been servants of the Most High God who have committed their lives to spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, who have spread things like health and literacy and, and the byproducts of good Christian living around the globe. It has been Christians who have built hospitals and founded universities and, and served the poor and the widows and the orphans and the prisoners and, and by their example have inspired the rest of the world to follow suit. It has been the Christians who have made the most important changes to this world, who have brought freedom and education and things like that. If, and so, if we want to see the world around us changed for the better, and our nation living in, in true liberty, and, and, or even our town living in, in prosperity and free of crime, if you want to see those kinds of changes around you, it's going to take the church united and living in accordance with God's design. And nothing else can fix this system. We all tend to interpret the world around us through the lens of culture. You know, we see things through the, the, the way we've grown up. We, we do the same thing with the Bible. And so instead of preaching faith and repentance to the King of Kings because it is His due, we tend to preach the American dream as the prelude to heaven. You know, get what you can and live for all it's worth here and, and someday try to be just good enough that you can go to heaven. You know, if you spend much time in, in any, you know, any popular church in, in the country, you'll hear a theme that is all about us. 
rather than about God. It's me as the individual that ultimately matters. And my specific church or my denomination is the way to fulfill my destiny because the rest of of the you know the rest of the church, while sometimes agreeable, they're not my brothers and sisters in arms to help defeat the evil in this world. They're just another group doing their own thing. But it's not like that in the Bible. It's not it, when God interacted with the world; it was for His people as a whole. It was for the nations, it, it, and ultimately, the, what He reached out to the, His people to impact the whole world. God didn't just want a people; He wanted all the people. And and so, and it's all through, throughout the Old Testament when God made covenants. Even though He was talking to individuals, He was making covenants to impact the whole nation and the whole world and everybody around. And then in the New Testament, it, the New Testament isn't about your personal Lord and Savior and making your life better. It's about making the world better. Obviously, we, have, we, we get to choose for ourselves whether or not to apply the Word, God's Word, and, and have our lives transformed. But if you know the New Testament, then you know that the concept of, of living out your faith apart from the corporate body of the church is inconceivable. We're meant to be a part of the body of believers working in unison, working as a body, as, as different parts of one body to transform the world. To, and you know, if, if, if Christianity was just about saving you from your sins and that was it, where would the world be? It's about changing the whole world. And how many times have you heard some blowhard talking about how Jesus wants you to have a new car or a fine home or big TV and if you'll just give enough to the preacher, then God will give you, he'll, he'll make you rich. But the Bible doesn't have anything even remotely close to that kind of teaching. The Bible is, is about stewardship of what we've been given to take care of. Some people have, have a lot and some people have very little. But God expects everyone to see themselves as caretakers of God's property because He owns the world. And He expects us to take care of it according to His priorities. We are blessed to be a blessing. When God grants us gifts, whether it's a whole lot or just a little, He expects us to serve others with it, not to just serve ourselves. In fact, we are called by Jesus to deny ourselves Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And seek His kingdom above all else. Deuteronomy 8 at verse 17 says, Be careful not to say, My own ability and skill have gotten me this wealth. You must remember the Lord your God, for He is the one who gives you the ability to get wealth. If you do this, He will conform His covenant that He made by oath to your ancestors, even as He has to this day. Now, if you forget the Lord your God and all and follow other gods, worshiping and prostrating yourselves before them, I testify to you today that you will surely be annihilated, just like the nations the Lord is about to destroy from your sight. So he will do to you because you would not obey him. And that's the Old Testament. Here's the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 9, uh, verse 10. Now God who provides seed for the sower and bread for food, will provide and multiply your supply of seed and will cause the harvest of your righteousness to grow. And you will be enriched in every way so that 
you may be generous on every occasion, which is producing through us thanksgiving to God. Because the service of this ministry is not only providing for the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing with many thanks to God. Through the evidence of this service, they will glorify God because of your obedience and to your confession in the Gospel of Christ and the generosity of your sharing with them and with everyone. God blesses us to be a blessing. He blesses us so that we can show the world how thankful we are that we get to serve God and share what He's given and and the rest of the world will be transformed if we're living according to His will. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and then He'll take care of the rest of the stuff, right? The commands of God are not to achieve self-actualization or, or you know, to, to make you comfortable. Remember what Jesus said the law is really about. Our, our Scripture today, to, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, with every fiber of your being. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. And don't worry about losing stuff. If you don't have money, if you don't have a house, if you don't have a car, don't worry about it. Because well, there's a few reasons. Number one, God provides. And if He wants to give, take it all away and replace it with new, He can do that. He can give you more than you ever had before. Remember Job? He took everything from Job. And in the end, He gave him twice as much. He can do that. Or He can choose not to. If God wants to take everything away from you, Guess what? None of it belonged to you in the first place. So if God takes it, it's His prerogative. Praise be to God. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. I'm still going to praise Him. And then number three, God may use your sacrifice to help others. God may put you in a position where you do lose it all and you still show your faithfulness and He uses that to change the world around you. This is Philippians chapter 2. This is an interesting passage. Chapter 2 at verse 25. But for now... This is Paul writing. I have considered it necessary to send Epaphroditus to you. It's a passage about a guy named Epaphroditus. For he is my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to me in my need. Indeed, he greatly missed all of you and was distressed because he heard you heard that he had been ill. In fact, he became so ill that he nearly died, but God showed mercy to him. And not to him only, but also to me, so that I would not have grief on top of grief. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you can rejoice, and I can be free from anxiety. So welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, since it was because of the work of Christ that he almost died. He risked his life so that he could make up for your inability to serve me. Isn't that interesting? That Christ allowed him to go through that. Christ allowed him to come to the doorstep of death. And he used it to glorify himself. He used it to reach us, show other people that this guy was continue to be faithful and continue to preach the gospel and nothing was going to stop him. And if he died, so be it, he'd go see God. And God used him. And God let him go through hard times and sickness. And, you know, it's not quite the name it and claim it we hear about, is it? We ought to be thinking bigger than worldly wealth anyway. We ought to be thinking beyond ourselves, on our own cars, our own cars, houses, and that stuff. We ought to be thinking God has made us disciples so that we can go after the world. He called us to then make disciples of the world. We ought to be claiming entire cities for Jesus, not cars. 
We, we, with what's a few thousand dollars when God can give you the wealth of nations? When we think about salvation, if we stop at ourselves, we miss the point. We miss the point of everything that Jesus taught. There is so much more at stake here than just your own soul. There is a world out there to be won, a world to be transformed. And, there, and it's, a, it's nice, you know, as nice as it sounds when people say, you've ever heard the, the saying, if you were the only one that Jesus needed to save, he would have died just for you. Have you heard something like that? And, and that sounds nice. But that wasn't the mission that Jesus set out to complete. Jesus, he, remember his sermon text last week I, wrote, I talked about when he went to Nazareth and he read from the Scripture and he said, it's been fulfilled in your hearing today. Here are just six, I'll read a few more verses of that prophecy that he began. He started, it was Isaiah 61, and he read just the first verse and a half, basically. And, and you tell me, you listen to these, I'll just read six of them because the whole chapter is prophecy, but you tell me if Jesus died just to save you or if he gave his life to bring about something bigger. Isaiah 61 at 1 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has chosen me. He has commissioned me to encourage the poor, to help the brokenhearted, to decree the release of captives and the freeing of prisoners, to announce the year when the Lord will show his favor, the day when our God will seek vengeance to console all who mourn, to strengthen those who mourn in Zion by giving them a turban instead of ashes. Oil symbolizing joy instead of mourning. A garment symbolizing praise instead of discouragement. They will be called oaks of righteousness, trees planted by the Lord to reveal His splendor. They will rebuild the perpetual ruins and restore the places that were desolate. They will reestablish the ruined cities, the places that have been desolate since ancient times. Foreigners will take care of your sheep. Foreigners will work in your fields and vineyards. You will be called the Lord's priests. Servants of our God, you will enjoy the wealth of nations and boast about the riches you receive from them. I mean, this isn't just about you getting saved. This is about you making an impact in the world that the world's never seen before. The American church needs to shift its paradigm. We need to stop fighting on the world's terms and start fighting against principalities and powers by the Spirit instead of trying to convince unbelievers that, that God is real through, through scientific research or human reasoning, we ought to take a lesson from the apostles who, who, apostles who turned the world upside down. 1 Corinthians at, at chapter 2 starts out like this, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come with superior eloquence or wisdom as I proclaimed the testimony of God, for I decided to be concerned about nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My conversation and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith would not be based on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Now we who do speak wisdom among the mature, now we do speak wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are perishing. Instead, we speak the wisdom of God hidden in a mystery that God determined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it. If they had known it, they would, have cruci- they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things that no eye has seen or ear heard or mind imagined are the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. Jesus never once said, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. 
He said, repent, for the kingdom of of God is at hand. If you're going to be a disciple, learn from the Master. Hebrews chapter 2 starts off like this, Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken through the angels proved to be so firm that every violation or disobedience received its just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was first communicated through the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him, while God confirmed their witness with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Are you starting to get the point? God has given us so much more than than the things of this world. This world, the stuff here doesn't matter compared to the things of God. Forget science is a great tool. Technology is a great tool. Governments can be good and governments can be bad. None of that matters as much as getting right with God and making Him a priority and living your life for Him because the work that He can do through you, if you seek His kingdom first and foremost, He can take care of all the other stuff. Don't worry about that. But if you seek His kingdom first, He can do miracles through you. He can do works of the Spirit of God through you to get this world to wake up and be transformed. I think sometimes because we have computers and Google and and smartphones and jet planes and all this modern technology that we live with today, that somehow we're smarter than everybody else who's ever been alive. Sadly, I think the reverse is sometimes true. It's often true. We've come to depend on technology so much that you know it does our thinking for us. We don't have to remember anything. We don't have to think about things anymore. Technology takes care of it. We've stopped using our reasoning to consider the world around us and, and to solve problems that face society, we've stopped thinking for ourselves and we let technology do it or we let the government take care of it. It's not my job anymore. We've got a government to handle that. We've got technology to take care of those things. Let somebody else deal with it. I, I think that the pilgrims and the founders and the people that God used to create this society were genius in the plans that they made not only because they laid down a framework of liberty that works for, for everybody, for an entire nation to be able to build on that, but because they were thinking even beyond that. They weren't just thinking of the nation. They were thinking about the world transformed by the moral superiority of God. By God's moral law, that's what will allow people to get the most out of life and to live in true liberty for the first time in world history. Today we think about being morally superior as nothing but an insult. Are you better than me? You know, that's, and that's what we think about. Well, it's bad if I'm morally superior. It's bad if I live according to the precepts of God. But it's not bad. That's the, way, that's the only way for people to have freedom. If we choose to live according to God's moral code, that's the only way for society to have peace perpetually. And so we sacrifice our brains in order to meet the world on its terms. And, and we, what we ought to do is obey our Lord and Savior and, and make disciples of every nation, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. I've got a few more thoughts on this topic, but I know people are hungry. I know you're not thinking about that at all. But I've got enough that I'll, I'll probably make another Sunday of this at least. So, so just to be courteous, I'll save the rest for later. But between now and then, let's 
try to start thinking outside the box. Outside the, and start thinking outside the four walls of this building. What has God got planned for you to do to this society? Because I imagine it's something bigger than what you're doing right here. What does God want you to do? What kind of challenges does God want you to take on? What kind of uncomfortableness does God want you to step out into because He's going to use you to do amazing things? What is God calling you to today? I believe it's something more than you're doing right now. And I believe when you get to that point, God's going to have even more for you to do. I don't think God wants us just to sit around and be comfortable. I think God wants us to be at work challenging ourselves and challenging the world around us. Let's start thinking God-sized thoughts. Let's not waste the potential of the Holy Spirit living within you. There's something amazing that can be put to work there. Let's do big things for Jesus. Not just because the world needs Him, which it does, but because He is worthy of every bit of glory and every bit of honor that we can get because people notice who God is through the lives that we lead. So let's bring Him glory and honor because He deserves it. And, and, and for all He's done and continues to do in us and through us, you step out in faith and I guarantee, not I guarantee, God guarantees you that He will be there to do great things. Live your life according to the way God has called you and step out and, and do things because He's called you to do them. And He will show up. Let's pray. God, we thank You so much that you have given us just amazing gifts. Not only are you willing to save us and, and transform our lives and sanctify us and help us to live the way you've called us to live, but you've, you've blessed us with your Holy Spirit. And you've said that we can live by your Spirit and do things for you and, and work miracles because you've put that in us. God, I pray that you would help us to see the potential of you in our lives and the potential of what you can do in this world Help us to see what You want us to do in big ways. Because I know there's more that You want us to do. Help us to see how we can transform the world around us. In some ways right here in our town and in other ways around the whole world. God, help us to see that and to grab hold of it and to take it for all it's worth and, and to see what we can get because the things of this world just don't even compare to the things of You. God, help us to live Your life. In Your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.